Hello, and welcome to a special holiday episode of the Giving Back to Gwinnett podcast. Presented by the Gwinnett Coalition and the Community Foundation for Northeast Georgia, Giving Back to Gwinnett showcases the nonprofits and people making an impact in Gwinnett. I'm Heather Leverage, founder of Magnolia Media Group and chief storyteller for the Community Foundation, and I'm your host. Today's episode is a fun one as we're in the middle of the holiday season. Uh, we've spent the last six months highlighting various issues in our community and the nonprofits working to help solve those issues. So for today, our last episode of 2021, we wanted to take you behind the scenes and talk to some of the givers, those helping make our nonprofits work possible, and share some stories of how lives are being changed through that giving. You're about to hear some inspiring stories from Good Samaritan Health Centers of Gwinnett, the Neighborhood Co-op, and Rainbow Village. Plus, joining each of these nonprofits is one of the fund holders from the Community Foundation. Because if you didn't know, the Community Foundation connects people who care, their fund holders, to the causes they care about. Giving through the Community Foundation allows fund holders to make an even greater impact on our communities. So first up today, we are going to chat with Neighborhood Cooperative Ministries. And joining us today, we have Ryan Jones, Director of Community Development, as well as Kathy and Elise Lowe, who are fund holders and co-op supporters. Um, and if you haven't heard of the Neighborhood Co-op, they serve the needs of at-risk Gwinnett, res- Gwinnett County residents from Doraville, Norcross, Peachtree Corners, and Tucker, as well as Greater Gwinnett. So I'm going to toss it over to Ryan first, because um, we really just want to share the stories and the impact that's being made through givers, like I mentioned. So Ryan, share a story about an individual or a family, um, someone whose lives were significantly impacted for the better because of the services you've been able to provide. Absolutely. Stories are from a nonprofit employee. Stories are the, our favorite things to do, and they're always the easiest things to do. So um, just to tell you a little bit about the co-op, we serve kind of that basic need. So we serve in an area of significant poverty in southwest Gwinnett County, and we're helping folks with things like food, shelter, clothes, the basic necessities. So my mind immediately went for an example for a lady named Miss Kyra. Last year, we started a program called Save a Family. So with Save a Family, we're going a little bit deeper with clients, so we are providing that support for just a little bit longer while we are introducing them to things like uh, financial support, uh, job counseling, how to do a resume, uh, things that um, will transform their lives in other ways. So Ms. Kyra came to us, she had a nine-year-old son, a five-year-old, a five-month-old daughter, excuse me. And the five-year-old daughter had some significant medical issues about every issue you can think of under the sun. She was born two months early and she had several conditions. And so we helped Kyra kind of in similar ways that we normally do with rent, with financial, with uh, helping with some medical referrals, things like uh, Good Sam that you'll hear about later do. Um, But what stuck out to me is when she was expressing her gratitude for what we did, one of the things that she said during intake was that she had family members that supported her, which is, relatively uncommon with families with individuals and families that we see but she didn't feel like they understood her and understood what she was going through so she was grateful for us she got emotional when she was talking about it and maybe it connected with me because I have two boys both of them were born premature and um, it's just a, a, a personal heart thing for me 
Um, but she wasn't, she was grateful for the physical things that we provided, but she was more physical for the um, emotional support. For us just listening to her, uh, providing that emotional support, and just simply being a friend to her in her time of need. And I think as a nonprofit, and we'll hear from more today, but it's, it's often really easy to get caught up in the bigness and the burden of trying to solve big issues, but often what we can do that's the most important thing are just those one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one relationships, those simple acts of love and kindness that we're sharing with one person. And that's what's amazing to me. So um, one quote that I've, I've shared before and I like to, to share is, and I'll probably butcher it, but um, in the end, a good society is not made up of bold decisions and grand designs, but millions of simple acts of kindness shared over and over. And to me, that was a great reminder. It's the Christmas season, and it was just a reminder to me that what can I do every day to do those simple acts of kindness? Mm. And that's what Miss Kyra kind of imparted on me. Yeah, I love that, that you bring up just how the love and kindness that you can show to someone makes a difference. And so I think sometimes we tend to think about, oh, let's just you know give someone a food box or let's provide them clothes. And you forget that that relationship, you know, people, what's the other saying? People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Um, I probably butchered that one myself, but I just think that's a great example of that as well. Um, and so, you know, we also have Kathy and Elise here with us who are, you know, have made giving for you guys a family affair. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, why you've gotten involved with the co-op and some of your other giving ventures um, and why that's important to you guys. I'll go to Kathy, I'll go to you first. Well, I became involved with the Community Foundation quite by accident. Norcross High School asked me to write grants for their After School Matters program, which I volunteered to do. And to learn how to write grants, I went to Randy's workshops. So I would sit next, sit next to all these nonprofits that are doing wonderful things, and I would come home and tell my husband about it and say to him, I want to send them some money. So I became very educated in what Gwinnett County was doing, and then my husband would sign all these checks and said, well, why don't we just open up a community fund with Randy? And I said, great idea. So here I am. So my passion is food insufficiency because of what I see on a day-to-day -day basis at Norcross High School. And I have sucked my daughter into it because she sees it every single day of her life at school. Well, at least talk to us a little bit about that and also share, because um, you started a food drive and have gotten involved in other ways. So just kind of share why that's important to you as well. So I go to Norcross High School, as she mentioned, and the we're a Title I school. So two thirds of the kids are on free and reduced lunch and the school has around 3,000 students, a little bit more. So that's around 2,000 kids. And during the pandemic, they did as much as they could to get lunch out to the kids who wouldn't be able to afford it at home. But of course, the school can only do so much. And they did make a great impact, but we can still always be doing more. So my mom suggested that I, you know, post on next door, hey, I'll go around if you leave cans out and I'll collect them and then I'll take them to the food drive. And it had a great turnout and I was able to get food to the food drive and you know f feed the kids that I learn with and that I play with every single day. Mm -hmm. Well and what um, I guess share too 
uh, Elise, the impact that you've seen your family's focus on giving make in your own life? I mean, in my family, it's like giving isn't an option, it's a requirement. And it's something we eat dinner as a family every night. And we talk about the issues in our world every night. We are not a family to like sugarcoat anything. And that's partially because I'm the youngest child and my siblings are way older than I am. So I was never really babied per se. I knew what was going on from the start. Uh, so it, it's just very innate in my family, you know, and they've taught me that, you know, if giving is easy, then you're not doing it correctly. Giving shouldn't be convenient and we should be giving when it's inconvenient because if it's inconvenient for people who are financially blessed like us, then it could be deadly for people who aren't. Mm. I love that. Well, and what, um, tell me, two of you, t uh, Elise and Kathy, talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, being able to give to co-ops like the Neighborhood Co-op and get involved in different ways. Um, what are the impacts that you guys have seen? I don't necessarily see what you see on a day-to-day -day level. I just know my dad was a letter carrier and he was often audited by the IRS because he gave too much money away. And my husband's dad was a Presbyterian minister. So we don't even think about it. Mm. We just do it mm -hmm. and, and hopefully have an impact. And if everyone just gave a little bit, yeah. it would make a world of difference. A big difference. Can I tell you what I see? Yes. I see a young person that no matter what else happens for me today, I see a young person that has changed me today and I'm gonna go back to work and I'm gonna be fired up about what I'm doing just listening to that two minutes of, of conversation so Elise thank you I love that well expound on that for just a second Ryan like what what did that mean to you as you heard what Elise was saying I think anybody can relate to that when you see a young person that at that age I don't know how old you are but at that age at the high school level you're already caring so much and it's great I have little kids too so for me, I'm always looking for ways to, how I got involved in service was trying to figure out how I can be a good example for my son. And that's really it. That's why I do the job I do today. And anytime I see young people like that, that are already have that in their heart, you have done a good, great job and it inspires me to do better. Oh, I love that. And Elise, are you 16? I'm now? 17. 17, okay. I was off by just a little bit. Um, so as we, you know wrap up talking to you guys and then move on to some of our other great nonprofits and givers what advice do y'all have for other families who are you know want to become uh, more giving minded like you guys are I think you have to talk about it the one thing I love about getting involved with Norcross High School is it's come full circle because whenever band has a concert we do a canned food drive in conjunction with it we had not done that before uh, when people order fruit for a fruit fundraiser and they don't want the fruit, they say, we'll buy it and donate it to the co-op. So it's expanded the kids' minds on how they could push this generosity forward. And it's pretty painless and it's pretty simple. Hmm. I love that. I think it's really just as simple as looking around you and stepping out of your comfort zone. And I've done a little bit of volunteer work as well with like Corners Outreach, which the owner of Corners Outreach. His name is Larry Campbell and I know his daughter because I go to school with her and 
we have these people in our community that are already doing such a great job of giving. So to get involved, you just have to reach out and say, how can I help? Mm -hmm. And I volunteered with them and I taught ESOL kids and I don't speak like a lick of Spanish. (laughs) I take French. So that was definitely outside of my comfort zone, but I was really happy to work with them. And math is the same in every language, so. That is true, it is universal. (laughs) Well, I love that. It sounds like what I'm hearing is, you know, a willing heart like just in finding a spot to plug in because there's plenty of places like, you know, I'm sure Ryan would say in all of our nonprofits in here, you know, there's always a place to plug in and and get involved. Well, awesome. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. So next up, we're going to be chatting with Good Samaritan. um, And we have Greg Lang, who's executive director of Good Samaritan Health Centers of Gwinnett here in studio with us. Um, And we're going to be talking to him and Ken Mazzaroni, who's also a community foundation fund holder, a Good Samaritan supporter and incoming board chair. Um, And for those of you who don't know, Good Samaritan Health Clinics demonstrate the love of Christ by providing quality and affordable primary health care and dental services at their two locations in Norcross. So, Greg, let's talk about how have you seen Good Sam make a difference in people's lives, you know, in our community? First, let me say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to to you. Thank you. Uh, if I may, I'll start with numbers. Oh, yeah. um, I've been with the organization uh, 10 years. 10 years ago, we had four and a half employees. Today, we have 58. 10 years ago, we accepted only 500 new patients a year. Today, we take more than 3,000. And 10 years ago, we did not offer dentistry. And this year, we will finish a little more than 7,000 dental appointments. So we've been blessed in such a way that we've been able to grow and add services and take care of the uh, community's increasing needs, Uh, especially dentistry. We're the largest charitable dental provider in the county. We have 12 dental chairs and three dentists, and we've been able to do that because of the generosity of our supporters that helped us buy buildings and buy equipment and hire staff so that we could see more and more people. Uh, we think we're going to serve more than 31,000 people this year. Wow. So it, it's been, you know, remarkable. I've been in healthcare care uh, now almost 40 years, 10 years of it in the nonprofit sector. And uh, I've just seen a lot of transformation in, in Gwinnett County where we went from uh, a few people needing us to hundreds of people a day um, that need us as the county has grown and especially the immigrant population has increased. We're serving more and more people that are receiving health care, often for the first time in their lives. We have women in their 40s getting their first physical, their first mammogram. We have um, you know, young adults, 20, 22 uh, years old, getting their teeth cleaned for the first time in their life. Um, so it's been uh, remarkable to me to uh, be a part of creating something that's been serving uh, unmet needs that should have been attended to many years ago. Uh, So we do a lot of catch-up work, but nevertheless, we get to do the work for them. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's just, I think that will impact people when they hear those numbers and realize that what some of us take for granted is almost a luxury to others. Yeah. And, and, you know, other than numbers, there's also the great stories. I mean, um, every day we diagnose hypertension or diabetes in someone who had no idea they were suffering with those diseases. And we catch it early enough that we can help them avoid, um, you know, a a decrease in their um, health. We have people that tell us that they're smiling for the first time in years. 
Uh, we do a lot of smile restoration, and we've gotten thank you letters from people that said that they are no longer ashamed and they're willing to go out into the workplace and talk to customers or um, uh, even you know smile in photographs, um, and and that's remarkable. Um, but one of the most profound things that we do, you shared it uh, in your introduction, is that we're a gospel-centered ministry, and we attempt to you know, share the word and teach people about the love of Christ. And something like that, that objective is often hard to quantify and define in a business world. But the story that tells me we succeed in that is that um, about a year ago, we were helping a man that was in end-stage uh, cancer. He had already been sent home um, to die. He was in pain. And uh, we helped him get out of pain and took care of some basic needs for him. And he had a sense that his days were numbered. He asked his family to bring him in so that we could pray over him before he died. Wow. And uh, we did that um, uh, in the clinic with several of the staff standing around him and, and uh, prayed for him. And he did die that night. Um, and his family, you know, told us how much comfort he received from that moment, knowing that we were genuinely caring about him, not only physically, but spiritually. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite stories about what we do. Mm -hmm. You don't see that very often in, um, you know, a scientific institution like medicine, mm -hmm. um, but we get to do it. Yeah. Care for the heart, not just the body yeah. and the soul. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, and thank you for sharing that, Greg. And then talk a little bit to, um, you know, people who give, whether it's their time um, or their money to Good Sam, what difference have you seen that make? Um, well, our growth has been fueled by the uh, generosity of the uh, community. I mean, healthcare is a very expensive profession. We cannot just take any willing volunteer because it's a skill set that most people don't have. So in order to serve the needs in the community, we have no choice but to hire people. Um, and um, uh, our payroll is very expensive. Um, but without the donors coming alongside us and understanding that, yeah, even though I'm helping you pay um, payroll, um, it's impactful because one person can take care of, you know, 20 to 25 people a day. Um, and save a life potentially um, you know so having donors come alongside us and be confident in us and being willing to continue to give to us um, is, is inspiring especially when it looks like we're hungry all the time you know we, we never reach a place where we don't need more funds and that's not because we're wasteful but it's because we grow every year mm -hmm. and, and um, not only in our uh, physical size um, and the number of staff that we hire but the number of people that we treat and uh, we're um, we reached a high of 35,000 uh, people before the pandemic and we had a small slump but we're climbing out of that and we think that next year will, will be our busiest year yet and it's you know our donors willing to help um, feed us financially so that we could accommodate that mm -hmm. growth it is uh, really an awesome thing to witness mm -hmm. I love that well and speaking of donors so Ken is sitting here with us too and so Ken just share you know why you got in involved with Good Sam to begin with well, like so many of these stories, they all start with a conversation with Randy Redner at some point in time. Um, so my, my wife and I had been in an extended exile to the, you know, frosted north in Minnesota, and we were returning to the greater Atlanta area, and Gwinnett in particular, and I was kind of transitioning out of my professional career and into what was going to come next. And we'd already established a fund at the uh, Community Foundation, and so I started having some conversations with Randy about what, what can I do, where can I make a difference? And he introduced me to the four 
basic areas that they were looking at closely at that time. So there was, in addition to healthcare, there was food insecurity, there's homelessness, and there's early childhood um, learning. And so I started doing some research in all those areas along with my wife, and we visited a bunch of different places and different you know nonprofits from the work that they were doing, and really focused on healthcare as being the one that we thought made the most sense because it seemed to be a necessary first step for any individual. If you're not healthy, you can't go to work, you can't provide food for your family, you can't provide food for yourself or housing, and once you're you're you're, you're homeless, you have no place to send your children to school. So to us, it just seemed like a logical place to start. And then we went down the path of talking to a lot of different of the healthcare nonprofits, and then we met Greg. And I, I had a conversation, several conversations with Greg and with uh, the, the board chair at that time, a fellow by the name of Sam Kaywood. And it was just amazing the amount of work that they'd done and the, the blessings that they had brought on the organization through prayerfulness and, and being very faithful in every sense of the word to what the mission was. And particularly when you understand that the model that's behind Good Samaritan as Greg alluded to already, we're a Christian-based organization, so we're as, we're, we're as or if not more concerned about the, the spiritual side as we are the healthcare side. And so that was extremely attractive to us. And then on top of it, you take a look at the business model from the standpoint of, you know, Greg alluded to it again a, a moment ago, we, we do need donors to come alongside, but we expect our patients to have some financial skin in the game as well. And we've, we think anecdotally that that drives better health outcomes as well, because if I'm paying for something as opposed to just getting it for free, I'm going to value it a little bit higher than, you know, getting a, a free whatever. So, you know, Greg's talked about the fact we're over 32,000 this year. And after a small drop off next last year, next year with, uh, you know, both of our uh, facilities open and running full steam, I, I'm confident we'll get well over the number that was our high water mark from two years ago. And that's just doing great work every day. Hmm. Well, and Ken, talk a little bit about, you know, the power of giving and, and what you've experienced, you know, through Good Sam and through, you know, yours and Lori's lives as well. Giving is transformative in every sense of the word. Obviously, for the recipient organization and the individuals that organization serves, it's transformative in the sense of health care, you know, m- turning people from uh, being ill and unable to support themselves to giving them the, fina- the physical attributes and, and that soundness that they can go out and, and confidently take on the world. But it's transformative for the individual who does the giving as well, because you hear a lot about time, talent, treasure. I mean, th- those are real easy words to throw off quickly, but the more you get into it, the more it transforms your understanding what that is, and it drives you, and we, we heard from the last you know, folks from uh, um, uh, Neighborhood Cooperative, that it, it transforms the way you look at the world and the way you want to participate in the world and, and how you want to make a mark and, and, and help others because you've been hugely blessed with whatever you have along the way as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a, a deep good for both the giver and the givee. Yeah, that impacts. Do you have, um, and I'm, I'm kind of throwing you a curveball, do you have a story um, or something, way that you've seen Good Sam make an impact that's really resonated with you? Well, like I said, I, I know one story in particular. Um, I've heard some of the stories that Greg's talked about already. And, uh, you know, again, the, because of the faith focus, it makes a huge difference. I mean, the, all sorts of organizations are doing tremendous work, and I, 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 you know, have great respect and admiration for all the people in the nonprofit community and, you know, the folks in the room and folks who, who, who do all these other things. The ability to focus on faith the way we do in the medical uh, field is, I dare say, almost unique. Um, and I think it drives better outcomes. Greg? Yeah, thanks for letting me uh, jump in. Um, you know, one of the things that we don't uh, publicize necessarily um, is that we train uh, rising medical professionals. We take graduate students from a number of universities and provide them um, with their 
uh, clinical rotation so that they can become licensed. And we include them in our gospel outreach when they're willing to participate in it. And we've heard a number of times from these um, students that are about to become nurse practitioners or physician assistants that this is the first setting where they've ever been given permission to pray for somebody, that they didn't realize that a medical professional could legally do that even. Um, so, uh, you know, that's one of our um, uh, unspoken missions is to really raise up future um, uh, not only medical providers, but um, uh, disciples to um, spread the word. And our, our donors probably aren't aware that they help make that happen, but they do make that happen for us because we can spend time really training somebody, and that's not a reimbursable time. We're just investing in someone, and we can do that because our donors um, are very generous with us and allow us to pursue the mission both with the patient and with the future healthcare provider. Hmm. I love that. Make an impact on many, many levels. I love that. Well, Ken and Greg, thank you so much for coming and sharing um, the power of giving and how you've seen that through, you know, Ken through your own life and then Greg through the donors like Ken who are giving to uh, Good Sam. So thank you. Thank you. Um, next up, we're going to chat with Rainbow Village. Um, we've got Justice French, who's the development director for Rainbow Village. And we also have uh, Dan Miller in studio with us, who's one of the Community Foundation's fund holders um, and a Rainbow Village supporter. And so if you haven't heard of Rainbow Village, they exist to transform the lives of families experiencing homelessness by providing help, hope, housing, and healing. Um, and we've heard some really neat stories today that have already made an impact. Um, Dan's is even a bit more unique, so we, we kind of want to start there. Uh, so Dan, share with our listeners about your journey, the journey you literally went on, um, and why you chose to support Rainbow Village through that. Uh, well, the journey that, that Heather's referring to is I made a, a little bicycle trip. Little. Just, yeah. <laughs> this, this summer. Uh, I went from uh, Seattle to uh, Bar Harbor, Maine. Um, a little over 4,000 miles, uh, and I never had so much fun in my life. Uh, it was, it was uh, difficult, but, but every day was just uh, a joy. Mm. Um, and the, the support of Rainbow Village um, isn't new. It was just um, a different opportunity. Um, we don't have the deepest pockets, and I was inspired by their... Um, long-term success in the community. Um, we worked with Rainbow Village probably pretty close to 30 years ago when my wife and I first moved to wow. uh, Gwinnett County, uh, refurbishing uh, one of the homes off of uh, Old Norcross Road when they only had two homes. Um, and we did some painting and uh, removing of wallpaper and just getting a house ready for a, for a family. So we've been aware of the organization for a long time. And the bike ride was, was something I wanted to do, but um, we're also part of a, a church community where our, our mission statement is connecting um, everyday life and, and, and faith. Um, and so this was my everyday life. This was what I was gonna do for the next two months, but I, I wanted to connect it to something bigger than um, the bike ride. I was floored, stunned how much bigger it got. Um, when Justice and I first met, I think we both walked away going, well, this is, this is a cute story. It might be kind of fun and you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit of press and 
maybe a couple thousand dollars. Well, and that's exactly right. And uh, when Dan and I first sat down at Maple Street Biscuit and talked about this absurd idea to bike across the entire country that I was so excited for, for Dan to do, um, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, if we can raise $5,000, this would be a huge success, right? right to right. create the awareness, right? It's not only um, driving resources for Rainbow Village to support what we do, but um, creating the awareness about how we do it in a unique way. And so, um, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, man, $5,000 would be incredible. Dan, what, what is that number at today? Uh, 34,000, I think, the, That's right. the mm-hmm. last time I looked. Um, incredible. And it was, for me, and Ken alluded to this, give, giving connects on so many different levels. But uh, I was a teacher also. I, I've worn several different hats. I was an engineer for 28 years and then taught high school for 12. And um, I was very education-focused. And so the students would recognize anytime I wasn't teaching, their content they would look and go okay this must be important because he doesn't pause for anything and and we would pause for a day and and talk about giving within the high school community so when the donation site went up and former students found the site uh, through some YouTube videos and they told other students and there were donations coming from students you know that future connectedness just warmed my heart wow what a cool circle coming back to was for me yeah i love that and even beyond um, the students in the local community right it almost makes me think of forrest gump a little bit right when he goes for his long run across the country and people start joining in right right? they they want to be a part of the magic and we started to see donations come in dan i don't know what state you were in at the time um but I think you were at an IHOP perhaps, and you had a conversation with someone and they saw your shirt with Rainbow Village on it. And they were so moved and inspired by Dan that they looked up Rainbow Village and made a $100 donation. And they're across the country, Wow! right? And Rainbow Village is here in Duluth, Georgia. And so Mm -hmm. um, to see the impact that it had, not only here in the community, but across the country, who people who now know who Rainbow Village is and what we do um, is just, is just incredible and all that over a few pancakes and an IHOP is is amazing. (laughs) Never discount the power of food. (laughs) Well, um, Justice, along those lines, um, great story already about, you know, an individual making impact, but let's drill that down to, you know, people give to Rainbow Village, people like Dan and, you know, the person across the country who gave and share a story about a family's life that has been changed or individuals because of Rainbow Village. Sure. Well, one of my favorite stories is is that of Spring, who um, graduated from Rainbow Village over a year ago now. Um, but really, we have two types of families who come to Rainbow Village, those experiencing situational uh, poverty and homelessness and those who um, are experiencing generational poverty and homelessness. So um, Spring's story is um, that of the situational um, uh, type and Spring uh, was a 17-year veteran in the banking business um, with the two-year-old son at the time, um, and her relationship became very abusive um, to the point that it sent her to the hospital, um, and that was the turning point. She realized, unfortunately, like so many women in the situation, that she had to get out, um, and it turned very violent before uh, she realized she had to, to not only save her life, but her son's, Leo. 
um, and they came. They ended up at Rainbow Village, um, and uh, through two years of the Rainbow Village program, um, Spring was able to save up enough money where she was actually uh, able to purchase a home in Monroe, um, and it was just one of the most. Uh, we talk about the filling of the tank a lot, right? I, um, when we serve our families and to see their success, and success for all of our families looks different. It's not purchasing a home for all of them, right? It's um, sometimes it's their mental health. It's it's building of the finances, yes, but it runs deeper than that, as we all know. Um, and to see Spring uh, move into her home, um, to see the staff of Rainbow Village show up on moving day, and to have a ribbon cutting ceremony, and to move the furniture into her home after what she had gone through, um, filled up my tank. Um, and I want people to know those people who are supporting Rainbow Village, like Dan, you know, make Spring's story possible. Um, and now her and Leo are living in their home and uh, they sleep safe at night um, and they're secure um, and they're self-sufficient now because Rainbow Village was a part of their story. Mm. I love that. The power, power of giving is told through one person's life mm. or two people in the case of her and her son. So, uh, you know, as we wrap up, um, Dan, just share briefly how being able to give has changed your life. Um, and then why should others make giving a priority? Um, giving is a lifelong thing, and it, it, I think it all kind of stems back to that we, we have an innate desire to make the world around us a little bit better. And when we're young, that little bit is it's a little bit. Uh, our circle of influence is just not that, that big. Um, and as we grow through our life, we try to make our families' lives a little bit better. But in, if that is your habit throughout life, it grows. You find organizations. Those organizations find you. Your, your path gets moved. You, you, you run into Randy, Randy and, and your life will change. Um, you know, but you're just looking to make that kind of next step to, to make the world around you just a little bit better. Um, and the other thing that... that that giving does at some point you will make a gift that is a leap um where you can't predict it's like is this the right thing is this can can we actually do this and the answer is you don't know and you leap and in the leap there's a transformative process that that ken alluded to um you can't describe it um uh, you know, a butterfly can't go back and explain to the caterpillar what it's like bef before you become the butterfly, and you can't really explain what it is before you leap. But some point and some time in your life, you will you will leap, and and the world will be better, and and you will be changed mm -hmm. for the better. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you all for a very inspiring um, conversation on the power of giving and how it makes a difference, and you know in the giver's life as well as the people on the other end receiving that um, and for you know all the nonprofits and all the people doing the work in between um, so thank you all of you um, and for everyone listening in today you know thank you for listening I hope this has been um, an encouraging inspiring uh, episode for you as well and if you would like to learn more about the Gwinnett Coalition or the Community Foundation please visit them at GwinnettCoalition.org or CFNEG.org um, and if you want to know more about any of the nonprofits featured today, um, you can also visit their websites. We have um, the uh, Neighborhood Co-op, which is, um, I'm 
Yes, rncm.org. Um, Good Sam is, what's the website? GoodSamGornet.org. Awesome. Rainbow Village? Dot O-R-G. Gosh, awesome. Well, I'm your host, Heather Loveridge. Thanks again for joining us today, and we wish you the happiest of holidays. Now, go make a difference in your community this season. Thank you.